Good morning. Lord willing, all of you have had a great and wonderful Thanksgiving, and you are all a little bit bigger. Today, it's supposed to be lovely out there, so it may be a good day to run a few miles, and Lord knows that I ate way too much. I think by just way of introduction, I did this last week when I had the opportunity to preach in the in the church building, and I want to do it here and have this opportunity, I think, just publicly to say thank you. Uh, Jamie and I have been utterly blessed beyond measure that we are here with you all the way from Kansas. It's amazing in and of itself what God has done just to get us uh, to this foreign land, but we are so happy to be here. You have um, just blessed us so much. And we just want to say thank you. Um, we come out of Thanksgiving uh, thankful for you all. And so um, we truly now know the definition of Southern hospitality. And so we're just thankful to be at this parish. We're thankful to be here with, with all of you as I look out um, at all these faces. And so with that, I also want to say Happy New Year. This is... The new year, liturgically speaking, those of you that may be like me, that don't come from somewhat of a liturgical background, may be thinking to yourself, um, sorry, we still have about 30 days to go. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. This is the new year, liturgically speaking. We restart our liturgical calendar. This is the first Sunday of our new year in this liturgical calendar, and it's the first Sunday of Advent. But you may be asking this morning, what in the world is Advent? What is Advent? Why does St. Paul celebrate Advent? That question, I don't know if you know this or not, was answered for you last week in the form of the Sunday news. Lord willing, you all received one of these lovely bulletins. As you entered the door last week, you would have noticed, possibly, an article that was written on the front um, by myself, entitled, The Why and Hows of Celebrating Advent. And if you ignored it or just forgot to read it, I won't judge you. I totally understand, after all, I'm just just the youth pastor, right? (laughs) Who cares what the youth pastor has to say? <laughs> but in all seriousness, back to our question, why do we at St. Paul celebrate Advent? Answer. It is time when we it is a time when we celebrate the fulfillment of the promises that God has made, that He would make a way to draw near to us as His people a way to draw near to us. It is looking, in other words, it is a, I think, in in my words, it is a month-long party by which we celebrate by looking back at the birth of God's Son, Jesus, Emmanuel, right? Emmanuel, which means what? God has come, and he has made his home with us. 
Emmanuel means God with us, becoming incarnate flesh, becoming a human being like us. It is a magnificent doctrine that should fuel our worship. Not just because Jesus became a man because he could, or that he just wanted to show that that was possible. He became man, right, for us and for our salvation, right? That's, that's the creed. And we say that every, every week together. The Word became flesh to save us from our sin and to free us to marvel at and enjoy the unique union of divinity and humanity in one spectacular person named Jesus Christ. St. Athanasius, we are, as a staff, we are reading this small book by St. Athanasius, the great bishop of Alexandria. And this is what he said. I, I thought it was fitting this morning. Tyler will be happy, I think. St. Athanasius on the Incarnation said this, quote, It is a step further in the faith of our holy religion, that mystery the Jews traduce, which means malign, they misrepresent, the Greeks, they deride it, but we, we adore it. We adore it, don't we? That is Advent. But looking back is only part of Advent because we also look what? Forward. Advent is looking back, but it's also projecting forward, looking past the mere horizon to when Jesus will come again and establish his kingdom and return for his bride, the church. Jamie and I had our first child back in 2003. It was Grace. It's amazing how long that ago that seems, but 2003 really wasn't all that long ago. You never, I think you never know if you're ready to start having children, are you, as a parent? You you're somewhat, it's a, it's a trepidatious activity, these children that we have. But that little bundle of joy comes home with you. And before you bring this, this child home with you to live with you in, in this new home, you are preparing, aren't you? There's all kinds of preparation that goes into preparing for this infant to live a life with you. Education about nursing and feeding, organizing the house, cleaning the house, right? We're, we are sterilizing everything, every square inch of the house for this infant. The husband has these to-do lists to help manage the house now. His mom's busy. Cash at ready's notice for carryout meals to make it far more easier and convenient for dinner times, possibly. Picking out a new stroller. For heaven's sakes, it's like picking out a new automobile. I mean, there's so many options, colors, and there's so many to choose from. Car seats are even worse. Changing tables, stocked 
and ready. You get the idea. There is a lot of preparation that goes into that day that arrives. And it's no different with weddings, is it? I, I, I was always perplexed, right? We, we, we plan for weddings for six months. <laughs> for what, 30 minutes? Really? It just seems like complete overkill. And don't get me wrong, I, I love weddings. And I love children. And there's a lot of preparation that goes into that event, that climactic, joy-filled event when you're holding your newborn baby, right, fathers and mothers. That, that cry, that first cry out of the womb, there's no greater sound in the world. We would all agree as fathers and mothers, and weddings, it's so awesome to see the groom's face as his bride is coming down the aisle. It's like he's never seen anything more beautiful than that bride. Here's the kicker. This is the point. Like preparing for life with a newborn and like preparing for a joy-filled covenant relationship with your new spouse, God's people ought to be preparing for that day when Christ returns. That's the proclamation of St. Mark this morning here in the 13th chapter. If you have your Bibles with you, whether in electronic form or in book form, I would ask you to turn there. That's where we are this morning, looking at verses 32 and following in in chapter 13 of St. Mark's gospel. The message for God's bride, his children, is this. The king is coming again. And are we preparing for that day? Are you and I, I'm included, are we preparing for Christ's return? Are we watching? Are we waiting? Are we preparing for that climactic event when we see Jesus face to face? Think about that moment. When you will look at Jesus Christ, the author of life, the bread of life, the one who has spoke everything in existence, who's given you your spouse, who's given you your children, you will look him face to face, eye to eye. Or... Will you be unprepared? Perhaps this morning you are sleeping. Perhaps you are intoxicated by this world in which we live in. And you are totally unprepared for his coming. Well, let's look at Mark together. This is what he has for us. These are the questions that we ought to answer through the text this morning. Just to set the scene here a little bit, I want to back up to the beginning of chapter 13 of Mark's gospel. I think it's helpful this morning that we do that. It is Wednesday evening here in this setting, in in the gospel here. It's Wednesday evening of Passion Week. Friday, our Lord will be crucified. Sunday, he will rise from the dead. So this is the end of his earthly ministry for all intents and purposes. 
He's left the temple grounds. So those of you that have been there, like myself, I'm just projected to that place because I've been there. So he's leaving the temple ground. He's going out of the eastern gate. He's going up the hill to the Mount of Olives. And he's sitting on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, and they're looking back on the city of Jerusalem. That geographical point, if you've been there, you remember, if you can kind of look down on Temple Mount, you are elevated. And that's where he is, and you're literally looking out across the temple courts of Jerusalem. And Jesus pronounces judgment on the city at the beginning of chapter 13. And he says in verse 2, Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down, speaking of the temple. So our Lord is talking about this destruction of the temple, this judgment of God that's going to come upon Israel. With that in mind, the disciples, namely Peter, James, John, and Andrew, pull him aside and they ask him, Tell us, verse 4, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled, right? Okay, the temple's going to be destroyed. Love to know, Jesus. I mean, just kind of give us a heads up when we can look for this to happen. Not only that, the destruction of Jerusalem, when will that happen? But beyond that, what will be the sign of your coming? So what they're really asking is now we know that you're the Messiah. We know that you are the Son of God. We know that you are the Anointed One. You are the King. We acknowledge that. We worship you. We want to know when you're going to establish your kingdom. We want to know when you're going to establish this promised kingdom, which had been burning in the hopes and the hearts of Jews for literally a millennia, since the promises of God to Abraham, the promises of God to David, the promises of God reiterated to the prophets throughout their history. When will the messianic kingdom come? When will the Lord become the king and rule in righteousness and peace over the whole earth? When will Jerusalem receive its promised blessing? When will all this happen, Lord? Tell us. It's got to be soon. You're here, right? That's what Judas was hoping. That was the assumption. One answer and one point of application that come out of our reading this morning. So one answer and one point of application. First, the answer, when will Jesus return? I would love to tell you. I have no idea. So let's all just kind of exhale, right? I'm not going to, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not going to crunch numbers. I'm not, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. Answer, Right here in our text, no one knows except the Father, right? Verse 32, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So how's that for an answer? We simply don't know when Jesus will return. Unlike a newborn child, unlike that wedding date that comes and goes, 
Jesus says, be on guard, for you have no idea when that time will come. Which leads to our application this morning. It's really our take home. It has hundreds of implications, absolutely hundreds of implications. And it's this. Do not slumber waiting for the second advent. Let me say that again. Do not slumber waiting for the second advent. Four times, four times in four verses, Jesus says what? Stay awake. (laughs) Do not sleep. So what's he getting at? I don't think he's saying every once in a while, just kind of think about my returning. You know, just kind of think of me. Because I will come again. I think that's part of it. That's, there is an anticipation. There, there is a thinking about Jesus returning daily that should be on our minds. But I think the heart of the question is aimed at living rightly. Your life should pattern an anticipation that Jesus could return at any moment's notice. We are the servants, right right out of our text, we are the servants who are in charge in this analogy, keeping watch over the door. And so he is saying, is your mind and heart set on the things of this world? Are you just looking horizontally? Is that where our vision is? We, are we just kind of all just eye level all the time? I mean, just marching through life, through this rat race <laughs> that we live in? I mean, it could just be that, can it? Just the daily grind. It's always the same, just vertically. Everything's right here. Are we intoxicated with this fallen world that we live in? Or in other words, are we just happy to be just the way things are? Do I have people asking Corey Kincaid for the hope that lies within him, 1 Peter 3.15? Is anybody asking me for this hope that lies within me? Maybe if they're not, maybe it's because they see me hoping in the same things that they're hoping in. Or do we long to see Christ? Are we storing up treasures in heaven? For where our treasure is, what? There will be your heart also. I don't know about you, but Monday evening and Tuesday were really rough days for me. Everything that is happening in Ferguson, Missouri, and across the country with racial tensions are deeply saddening to me. I'm weeping for peace. I'm thinking to myself, man, I I just, I want this to go away. So tired of the fighting. I'm tired of the terrorism. I'm tired of the violence, tired of the killing, tired of the hunger and sickness that are rampant in this world. 
And my mind just started thinking about my four children. Raising four children in this world. What will the world be like when my son is my age? He's six. And then I thought, Mark 13, stay awake. Keep fighting the good fight. Jesus just saying, you are now my hands and feet. I am leaving you. And he did, right? Jesus left. Two chapters over, he comes back and he says what? Go into all the world. Proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Brothers and sisters, here's the good news this morning. One day, peace is coming to earth. Jesus is coming again. May we stay diligent and awake. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our King, Jesus. And as we gander around at this world, broken, hurting, may our cry be Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.